Fresh Air Production. Hi, and welcome to Fresh Ears. I'm Neil Cowling, the founder of Fresh Air Production. We began making podcasts for brands around five years ago, when you needed to start meetings by explaining what podcasts were. Now everyone wants one, and most people are diving into it for the first time. So the point of this series is to discuss a successful branded podcast series with the client, agency, and producer who made it, to really understand what it takes to make a show, make it successful, and carry on making more. Hopefully we'll all learn something, you as the listener, and us as the people sitting here talking to each other. So in this episode, we're going to talk about Proof in Trial, the award-winning series from global law firm Hogan Lovells. Presented by Kate Stetson and commissioned from our very good friends at Northern Media, it's a podcast that uses the grammar of true crime to talk about cases from murders to mergers, with plenty of interviews, presenter links and music. Have a listen. Eventually, Henry breaks down. He's 19 years old. He has significant intellectual disabilities and he just breaks and starts telling law enforcement what they want to hear. The officers told Henry the only way out for him would be to confess and that if he confessed, he could go home. So Henry signed a confession that implicated him and his 15-year-old brother Leon, who was also intellectually disabled. So why would a major law firm create a narrative podcast to talk about their work? Joining me to talk this through are Carolyn Sagawa, the Director of Marketing and Business Development, US Litigation, Arbitration and Employment at Hogan Lovells. We've got Zoe Gallia, Senior Producer from Northern Media, Jen Northam, perhaps as you'd expect, Co-Founder of Northern Media, and Alex Kenning, our Senior Producer here at Fresh Air. Hello, everybody. Hi, Neil. Hello. Hello. Hi, Neil. So... Carolyn, let's start by just asking why you made Proof in Trial. Why did you decide that having a podcast was a good idea? So this was a very strategic decision. One of the things that is great about Hogan Levels and working with the litigators there is that they're all just really great, nice people. And they do amazing work. They're like really sharp. They, they work on some of the most impactful cases, high profile, kind of ferocious when they get in the courtroom. But very much because of their niceness, they hide their light under a bushel. And we were not out there in the market getting the kind of recognition commensurate to their level of mastery in the courtroom. And so, you know, we made it a priority for our business plan to really position the firm as one of the top trial shops in the U.S. And as we thought about how to do it, it seemed that the usual channels that law firms use are really overused. I think in, a, in, in large part, the way podcasts are run in the legal industry is pretty standard. And every, I, I worry sometimes that people are tuning them out. And it's you know podcasts that are very technical. They're usually talking heads targeted just to specific lawyers. And the thing is, we wanted to really be known. And so the thought was, why are we limiting it to just that? Because 
particularly when you're talking about um, litigation and bet the company litigation, sometimes it's affecting people who are not the GC. It's it's the the client itself, someone who finds themselves falsely accused, or you know, someone who's got this great million dollar idea that they really you know started their whole company on, but then is being stolen. Who do those people know about? They're not lawyers. They may be engineers. They may be politicians. They may be just business people. So the thought was we wanted to get out and be more known more broadly so that when people think about trial litigators, Hogan Levels comes to mind. Throughout this whole pandemic, there's been a lot of focus on podcasts and Netflix and true crime documentaries, etc. So, you know, thought about, you know, let's break out of the mold of just doing the same old talking head or interview style talking about deeply technical topics, because the the way our team goes about doing a trial and going to trial is they really take on the problem of the the client and they they live it with them for months. I just posed that problem to the people here from Northam to help me figure out how we could do that. And so Zoe, as the senior producer, perhaps can you just explain what that format is? What was the eventual idea that you came up with? Well, it was really easy in this instance because Carolyn had such a clear idea of what she wanted it to be like. Often when you're working creatively, you come up with an idea and you sort of pitch it to the client. But Carolyn was very specific about what she wanted it to sound like, what she wanted it to be like. And we'd all listen to a lot of podcasts. Jen and I are big podcast consumers ourselves, and especially the kind of nice white parents or the true crime genre and so we had quite a clear idea that it would be heavily narrated and that we would use clips of the lawyers and the clients and to be honest that's kind of the thing that we came up with with Carolyn almost instinctively and instead of having to pitch our idea she just kind of said yes exactly oh you get it you get what I'm trying to do and we went off and did it and it was great. And that central thought was essentially making the lawyers, the heroes of the story. Is that right? Is that a fair summary? Jen? I think it was a bit of both. I think we wanted to, yes, make the lawyers the heroes. But more than that, we wanted to humanize them. We wanted to tell their story. We wanted the client to have a really big role in the podcast as well. It was about the relationships that they have with their client. It's about humanizing the lawyers and making them real to people, making them tangible, hearing that they were worried when COVID hit, hearing that they were emotional when the verdict came in, that they hugged their clients. We wanted really to bring that relationship to the forefront. Can I just add that I just wanted to back up what Jen was saying, that sometimes you have an idea when you think about lawyers of what kind of people they'll be like. And you think about the kind of shouting in the courtroom saying, objection, Your Honour. And the reality was that these were real humans with human connections to the clients and it really mattered to them whether they won or they lost and that really came across when we were interviewing them and there were sometimes tears when they talked about it you could see that they were not just clients with the people they represented that they'd formed relationships with them and I think that was part of how it became structured that kind of led us down the road to to making the the lawyers seem more human I guess. And Zoe your job in this is to sort of tie this all into a narrative so that process of production where you you carry out lots of interviews and then you turn that into a story can you just walk us through that a little bit how do you mold that narrative together well I started 
probably like you, Neil, in radio. So this is not all that different from putting a kind of radio documentary together. And one of the great things about working with the litigators at Hogan Lovells is they were really good storytellers. So you could do the interviews and you would hear those several clips in your head as they were saying them and you'd think, oh, that's a, that's a clip, that's a winner, that's what I want to say. And then the process would be to take those away and pick those clips out that told the story of those three interviews that you'd done and then weave the narrative, tell the story through that. And they were amazing stories to be able to tell. I mean, you know, a tech company whose clients had stolen its software or the largest wrongful conviction verdict in US history. I mean, these were really good, meaty stories to be able to tell. So it was a real, it was, it was really fun being able to weave them and put them together, I think. And when you're writing that, did you use references in true crime podcasting? Did you use podcasting as a genre to inform how you wrote it? Yeah, I mean, I, I would have, once we started working with Kate... And I heard her voice and her style. I would, Kate Stetson, who was the narrator, she was actually a lawyer, is a lawyer also at Hogan Lovells. I could hear her voice in my head. And so I knew how she spoke and her cadences. So it became easier to write with her voice in my head. But before that, yes, I was using as a model, I'd have in my head the kind of the narrator from the Nice White Parents series. So that gave me the idea and the feeling of how to write that style. Alex, let's bring you in as the producer at the fresh air end and the person who kind of knits all the audio together again taking inspiration from true crime but also telling personal stories how do you make that come alive what do you add at your end of the mix to make a difference well i think my role was just to bring to life what zoe had put in a script in the audio form so i had all of the audio in my daw my digital audio workstation and went through with all the time codes and put it all into place. I then listened through to everything and then used music essentially on a kind of instinctive level to bring it to life. Not really sure other than instinct and I guess, you know, quite a number of years of experience in music radio. Don't put yourself down. (laughs) But that's the point, isn't it? Because I think there's science behind creating a podcast, but there's also art. And at your end, you know, you're a musician, you're a DJ, you understand how music complements speech and how that all ties together. So you make it sound easy, but actually there's a lot of skill that goes into that instinct. Is there a balance between the pace of of the speech and where you put the silence in and the choice of music and how that works across the series? How do you tie all that together? Well, firstly, I think we we had one track that was used as a kind of theme tune that was used in the introduction, um, introductory section. And that we used a couple of times, I think, in each episode. And then each episode, as I remember, doesn't have the same music repeated through the episode. So it was just listening to it and deciding this area feels a little bit empty or this needs a little bit of music to build a bit more of the drama. And then searching for music that might fit that. And then I think the other thing is to say, actually, not overusing music, because I think there's a tendency to just think oh god I need music and whack it all in but actually using music in the places where it will be useful but then also using silence to bring out the drama of certain sections of the stories or where a lawyer is you can hear their voice cracking because they're they're brought to tears from a certain emotional situation or memory that they're telling and actually you don't want music in that section because it's way more dramatic to have it without any music underneath. 
Carolyn, what process did you go through to choose the stories that you wanted to tell? Were there obvious choices for what you wanted to say or did you go through a sort of selection process? I mean, I think there were a few obvious choices. When you get a jury verdict that is the largest in U.S. history for a wrongful conviction of two innocent young men who spent 31 years on death row, it's sort of a no-brainer that we need to tell this story. I think some of the others that were just a little bit surprising were, you know, we did one about an FTC merger injunction case. And who'd have thought that we could make, or I didn't make it sexy, but the, you know, the wonderful people um, (laughs) on this podcast from Northam and Fresh Air made it sexy. But the thing is, in choosing it, it was because there were reasons that they were momentous. And we really just looked at what are the most important trials. And when we, we, we have trial lawyers all across our entire practice, which is very different from the, the rest of the firms out there who maybe only have one or two lawyers who do all their trials. So we really wanted to try to show that we are trying cases in Philadelphia. We are trying cases in Texas. And so that was one of the criteria, but the cases just really kind of floated to the top. We had the luxury of being able to say, okay, more recently, what are the biggest, most impactful cases from around the practice? And we got a great little diversity of cases that not only were impactful from a um, sort of statistical standpoint, but they were extremely impactful to the lawyers and especially the clients that we served in those trials. So they did sort of come out to the fore, but we did have some criteria that we wanted to meet. That shows quite a lot of faith in the storytelling because it would be easy to take a merger story and make it sound quite dry, but you obviously had confidence that the people that you were speaking to and obviously the production team behind it could turn it into something that was really engaging and listenable. Absolutely. And I think that's twofold. I mean, I think as perhaps Zoe had mentioned before, to be a really good trial lawyer and litigator, you have to be able to tell a narrative. You know, owning the narrative is really part of winning the the jury, winning the judges. And sometimes you have to win the press too, right? So being able to craft and own that narrative is something that is intrinsically part of the trial litigation process. So I knew that we could tell good stories. And I think part of it was choosing the right narrator. And I knew from just having heard her speak that Kate Stetson, one of the co-leads of our appellate practice, was going to be great. I remember after one case, social media had dubbed her the Velvet Hammer. I think if you listen to the podcast, you'll see why. And initially, Northam was like, Uh, you want a lawyer to do this? Maybe we should get professional talent. I said, no, no, you got to listen to her. And I don't think any of us regret this. So, you know, it was the lawyers I worked with and clearly Zoe and the folks at Northam and Alex with his ability to enhance that, that really made these narratives what they are. Jen and Zoe, we know that in-house presenters can be challenging sometimes. It's not always the right choice for a client. Obviously, it was in this case, what made you come to that conclusion? Did you have to do work with Kate to get her up to speed on what we were going to be doing? We fought Carolyn. I mean, as soon as she said <laughs> she wants a lawyer to do it, we're like, no, no, it cannot be a lawyer. And we're like, think Phoebe Judge, you know, think, you know, criminal, think a lovely voice, you know, a lawyer's not going to be able to do it. And we pushed back. 
And Carolyn instantly said, well, there's there's this woman, Kate, Kate Stetson, she's great, but I'll send you a couple of choices. So she sent, I think, Zoe and I write about five choices. And as soon as we heard Kate, we're like, yeah, she's definitely our number one choice. But as you know, because you produce these podcasts as well, it is rare when you get an internal voice that should be on NPR. She's just so good. We were shocked. She didn't need any coaching. We used to have Zoom calls with her. And the first one, I think we coached her through. And after that, she just does it on her iPhone, you know, in between jury trials or meetings and just sends them to us. I mean, she needs no prompting, help, prepping at all whatsoever. So she is an absolute dream. And Alex, Carolyn mentioned there about you sort of being the final stage of that process and bringing it to life. Do you do you judge the music that you choose according to the story and according to the speakers? How do you dive into a music library and choose the right track for the right story? Yeah, so I will... Once I've got all of the audio in place, I'll, I'll listen through as a kind of dry audio and make notes about where I think you know, things can be lifted and where we can do with silence. And then I'll just go to the music library and then search certain keywords. That can take quite a long time. Sometimes you're a bit luckier than others in the search. And I think after the fourth episode, I was like, I've heard this one before. I've heard that one before. So I might have exhausted the library. Um, so I've gone through a lot of, of clips and there was a little bit of back and forth. I think there was one episode that Zoe and I did a Zoom call and we went through it together, didn't we? Because Zoe's obviously in the US and I'm based in London. So we, we spent a bit of time just kind of going through, oh, this this sound will, this will sound good here. This, this will sound better there kind of thing. But yeah, to answer your question, essentially, they were, it was different music depending on the, on the different cases, depending on the different moments. Jen, this is now an award-winning podcast from the Corporate Content Awards and uh, many others, I'm sure, down the way. Does that matter from the, from the point of view of you guys as producers, for Caroline as the client? How, how important are awards and recognition from the industry? You know, it's a funny question because we primarily make videos and films for clients for years. We're TV background, all of us. We never thought about going for awards. And when COVID hit, that's when we got into podcasting. It's creating content, just using audio rather than visual. It's it's the same kind of storytelling idea. And I think it does matter. I, I didn't think it... I hands up I didn't think it did in the beginning but I do think it's really nice to get recognition for the work you've done it's great to get recognition for the client it's great to know that we are doing good things and it helps obviously generate future business and it really kind of propels us to go the extra mile look at different ways to do things in the future and Caroline apart from winning awards. How else do you tell people about the podcast? What marketing activity do you do around it to reach your target audience? Well, when we launched, we did a soft launch and then we did a hard launch. And we did a big paid and earned social media campaign, primarily on LinkedIn and Twitter. Law firms and certainly our firm hadn't done a whole lot of paid social media advertising on promoted content. So it was a new foray and I don't think our firm had ever done it on Twitter. So those were new techniques that we tried, but we got just so much greater reach and it was very successful promoting each episode each week to reach new audiences and perhaps outside of just the strictly legal departments that we had typically in the past followed. In addition, we 
include mention of the podcast in our materials. I will say that in the legal world, they set a great store by rankings and awards, actually. And so we've submitted for awards for our our outstanding trial work. And we actually did win this year the Law 360 Trial Practice Group of the Year Award. And we had mentioned, we included a lot of the cases that were featured in the podcast in the award submission and mentioned it in the award submission. And when we, um, the lawyers involved in those cases, you know, did an interview to profile the practice, again, mentioned the podcast and invited the journalist to, to listen, to get more color and texture on the cases that were featured. And again, with that coverage, it got picked up. The podcast was mentioned there too. So we, we reached out, we did other direct media or, or PR and um, earned media outreach got coverage and tried to create a lot of um, ways that our lawyers could get the word out individually, providing sample template emails, etc. So we really did try to leave no stone unturned. And I think there's also been a bit of word of mouth just because it is different and it's a good listen. So we were hoping for that as well, that people would just say, hey, you got to listen to this just not because it's Hogan Lovells or it's it's branding, but because it's a good story. And so we, we have gotten actually a lot of people who are just listening because they like that sort of thing. I've been asked by friends who are not in the legal industry at all. So when are you coming out with more? And the good news is that we are. And that's the holy grail, isn't it? The, the, the people listening because they just love the podcast, not because they've been told to or they feel like they ought to. They just listen to it because they love it. Exactly. You know, you've got a broad audience when your 13 year old listens to it with you on a car ride and she's like, wow, that's really good, mom. And she thinks everything we do is completely embarrassing. So to get a 13 year old (laughs) kid, you know, into this listening to a podcast that we've done and be totally into it was was really refreshing. It was amazing. Bullseye. Perfect. So, yeah, tell us about what's next for Proof in Trial. So we are doing Proof in Trial season two appellate edition. Oftentimes cases may get contested all the way through the appeals process. And we've got some amazing, fantastic stories to tell there. And so we're hard at work at that. And I'm really thrilled with the cases that we've covered so far. And also as our crack trial team continues to rack up wins, we're aiming to do more later in the year. And I do know that my colleagues in Europe are also trying to pull together stories to tell from from that angle as well. So the legacy lives on. And hopefully, as long as we have stories to tell, hopefully this is a vehicle that we can continue to make use of. That's great. It doesn't sound like you'll be running out of stories anytime. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Good, good. Jen, you said that, you know, your background's video and that's really interesting because as you say you've sort of moved into podcasts recently and and obviously have a view over the two different media what tips would you give to other people who perhaps have only ever made video before what opportunities do podcasts bring and what insights can you give for someone who would be doing the same my advice would be don't be scared to just jump in because we were and you probably remember when we called you you know, and we're like, well, we've not done this before. Can you kind of hold our hands through it? We're past that now. We're... I also remember you being really excited about this oh, we're one. Completely... I remember you ringing up and saying there's this fantastic project. I mean, we were little, literally giddy when we got off the phone with Carolyn. Zoe and I were just like, this is going to be absolutely amazing. But I would say don't be shy. Don't be scared. I mean, whether you're a writer, whether you're a video producer, a podcast producer, you're in radio, it's all about telling a really good story. It's the same thing if you do a three, three and a half minute, seven minute film for a corporate client, whether you do a case study with them 
or whether you do a podcast. You're piecing together audio from various interviews or you're trying to tell a compelling story. Stories these days, everybody wants to, you know, have these really human feel good stories where, you know, we're coming through the pandemic. Everybody just wants this real personal touch. There's no difference. It's don't be shy. Don't be scared. It's great. It's really fun. I mean, we actually, you know, I would say half our business now is podcasting and half our business is films and writing, which is, you know, two years ago, that would absolutely have not been the case. If you told me pre-pandemic, we'd be producing podcasts and absolutely loving it. I would have thought, oh my gosh, I don't even know what you're talking about. And now I have to go out for a walk every day because I have to listen to a new podcast. I'm just obsessed. (laughs) Magic, thank you. And Caroline, from your point of view as a client, you have definitely not been shy. You've been very brave on this. What advice would you give to other people in your position who are thinking about timidly tiptoeing into the world of podcasts? I think that you should first think about what is it you're trying to achieve. I have come across folks who kind of say, I want to do a podcast. I'm like, great, what is it about? It's like, um, I don't know, we could figure I'm like, don't start with the medium first. You need to start with the story. So some stories will lend themselves to it and others won't. So my, my advice would be, first of all, figure out what is it, what's the business problem you're trying to solve and what's the story you're trying to tell? And you know, if you think about it that way and all roads lead to podcasts, go for it for it, particularly if you're working with a dream team like this, because honestly, they made it, not only was it not painless, this was fun. This has been really fun to work on. But I think that just have a really good story. Let the story out. Carolyn makes a really good point because it's about, I hate to use the marketing buzzword, but collaboration. This podcast would never have been a success if we hadn't worked so well together. We had worked with Carolyn in the past making videos And when she came to us, she came to us with an idea, but she was extremely open to ideas. There's a lot of back and forth along the way. You know, we push some things. Carolyn says, nope, not that, but maybe this. Her and her team bend over backwards to help us find the right people, the right clips. It's very much a partnership. And I think that's rare. So I think if you are thinking of going into podcasting, find a partner that you really trust that you can collaborate with and really work closely together because I think the relationship is really what makes this such a success, really. I think that there can be sometimes a tendency for folks to say, I'm going to hire a company and just toss this over the transom, have them run with it, and I don't need to be bothered until they're done. And no doubt Northam and Fresh Air would make an outstanding product, but I do think that getting involved, no one knows the stories or the clients as well as you do, so get involved. Magic. Thank you all very much indeed. That's Proof in Trial from Hogan Lovells. A really great blending of storytelling and law, true crime all coming together for a really unique piece of work. There's a new series out very shortly and a new European version out soon. Thanks to Carolyn Sagawa, the Director of Marketing and Business Development, US Litigation, Arbitration and Employment at Hogan Lovells, to Zoe Gallagher, Senior Producer at Northern Media, Jen Northam, the co-founder of Northam Media, and Alex Kenning, our senior producer here at Fresh Air. If you'd like to find out more about our friends at Northam Medium and the work they do, they're at northammedia.com. And to see how Fresh Air could help you create a brilliant podcast for your business, you can find us at freshairproduction.co.uk. In the meantime, I'm Neil Cowling. Thank you very much for listening to Fresh Ears, and goodbye. Fresh.